0: All right, Book of John, John chapter 10. That's where we're gonna be today. John chapter 10. Thanks for those of you who were praying for me. I feel a lot better. So, if you guys don't know, I was a little sick, but God is the healer. All right, John chapter 10, the Good Shepherd. I'm just gonna start by asking you guys a pretty, pretty big question um, Who are you following? To really just, just, just to pause and think, who in your life do you follow? Um just for, fun, just for fun, does anybody follow North Shore Christian Fellowship on Facebook or Instagram? Anybody follow us on Instagram or Facebook? Nice. Okay. I still see hands down. Meaning you got to do some work after church. Totally cool. Who follows Hojo? The good looking guy that just was here. But yeah. Who follows that guy? He's famous if you didn't know. Um, he's got like a million views on one of his TikToks or two of them I think. Yeah. Oh. He's got a fan. <laughs> he's got a fan. Um, yeah. So anyways, who follows Pastor Mike? On social media, let me see it. Okay, it's a trick question. He doesn't have social media, so I just wanted to kind of see like where you guys are at with that. That was fun though. Um, Anybody follow Christian meme accounts? Okay, those are hilarious, and that's where most of my kind of world news updates. Um, But uh, we have a lot of fun. If you don't know what that is, God bless you. Um, Who's off of social media right now? Who's like I'm not even on social media? That's not me. Yes, my Desert Warriors. Yes. Be strong and courageous. I like it. Um, who we follow, whether it's on, on social media or news apps, podcasts, right, you know, they, they allow us to be informed of so many things. And a lot of times the things that we follow, it dictates our thoughts and our topic matter, right? So if you're plugged in, if you've been tracking following the right people. You've probably heard of the Asbury Revival, right? Whether it's legit or not legit. If you haven't, that's fine. If you want my opinion on it, you got to wait. My book comes out in two weeks. No, I'm just kidding. Um, and so, you know, there's there's all these things that we follow and, like, everybody's aware of all, of all these things going on. You've probably heard of the Jesus Revolution film, right? Super exciting. Uh, you probably went and saw it with your grandpa or your grandkids, depending on who you are. Or your friends from high school. I heard it's great. I want to go see it. Uh, maybe some of you guys are less, like, you know, film-driven or or revival-driven, um, but you're really up to par on politics. Now, if you have the news app on your iPhone, or whatever device you subscribe to. Um, you know, you get a lot of these voices. Like, I mean, they're already talking about the 2024 election. And it's like everywhere. And I'm like, wait, isn't it? Wait, it's 2023, right? Like, it's, there's a lot going on. So maybe you're up to date and you know all the things that are going on. And, you know, following the news and all the, you know, the fires and the earthquakes and the wars and the rumors of wars. All these things. You might have done an End Times post on it. Send me the link. I'll look at it, right? But there's a lot, there's a lot in our world going on. And, and then who we follow informs kind of how we process these things. And here's the thing. In our crazy, busy, and confusing world, with really so many opinions and distractions, how do we stay grounded? Like, how do we know where to put our focus? Right? What do we bank our lives on? You know, media and news aside, our lives can be crazy. We don't need any of the world's mess to make life hard and confusing. It's, it's, it's hard and confusing on its own. Right? We're just, just trying to stay steady in our own lives and our minds, navigating through the daily grind. To be the spouse that we, we're trying to be, that God's calling us to be, to be the parent, the friend, the student, fill in the blank. In a crazy world with so much going on, how do we navigate our lives as believers? Where do we find contentment in the chaos? What if I told you it had to do with sheep and a shepherd? Jesus is going to show us what that looks like here in John 10. So look down with me. Verse 1. It says this, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door but into the fold of the sheep and climbs up another way, he is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he puts forth all his own, he goes ahead of them and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. A stranger they simply will not follow but flee from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech, Jesus spoke to them but they did not understand what those things were which he had been saying to them. So Jesus said to them again, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door. Of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers. The sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and life abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming, leaves the sheep, flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and is not concerned about the sheep. I am the good shepherd and I know my own and my own know me. Even as the father knows me and I know the father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will hear my voice and they will become one flock with one shepherd. For this reason the father loves me because I lay down my life so that I may take it up again. No one has taken it from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have the authority to lay it down. I have the authority to take it up again. This commandment I received from my father. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this morning and for your word. And we ask now, God, that you would speak to us. That you would teach our hearts. That you would open up our understanding to what it means for you to truly be our shepherd and for us to truly be in your care. We ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so in the context of John, we have been kind of tracking through Jesus' ministry, which has been growing, but it's also been further challenged, right? And so this teaching of the good shepherd comes on the heels of chapter 9 last week, where Fulton did a great job kind of showing how tension is continuing to rise around Jesus' ministry. But what I want us to see is that chapter 10 is not a separate dialogue from chapter 9. So remember when the Bible was written, chapters and verses, they weren't there. There was all one book. And so this actual dialogue is coming into the same dialogue. It's, it's, it's part of the same narrative. It is not to be separated. And so when to read this properly, we have to see it as a continuation of chapter 9. Everything Jesus says today is in response to the Pharisees, and the religious leaders from last week. Right, so our first Point is this, we need to know the voice of the shepherd better than the voice of the stranger. So for those of you guys who didn't know, me and my wife and our family, our boys, we got to go to Spain for a couple weeks, which is pretty amazing. Uh, My wife found 400-something dollar round-trip tickets. We're like, how could you let that pass? So we went, and it was awesome. Now, if you follow me on Instagram, if you don't, I forgive you. um, I made a couple, like, story posts. I'm really bad at social media. I post once a year. But you might have saw some pictures and stuff. And, And I love it because when we post about really cool things... You know, like, we're going to put our best foot forward. Like, I got very few good pictures. My wife has the good ones. So I have, like, these four, like, like, you know, it's beautiful. Everyone's smiling. All the kids are behaving properly, right? And so it's funny. Like, I actually have a folder in my phone that says bloopers. um, Because I wanted to do, like, a follow-up post. Because, like, in real life, like, I mean, you're not really seeing a lot of that on social media. And I wanted to do, like, a follow-up post, haven't done it, might still happen, of, like, our kids running around, kids crying, us yelling at them, them yelling at each other, you know, Spanish people yelling at our kids, whatever. And, uh, you know, because all that happened. And, you know, my wife was doing a Marco Polo um, thing to the family, and she's like, oh, there's my kids again, like climbing on like ancient architecture, you know, kids get down, right? So it's, it's this moment of like just the reality, the craziness of traveling with kids. It was a beautiful time. Um, but kids provide always a fun experience. And so we could be in like, you know, big crowds and there's a lot of people, it's a really busy area. And if it wasn't for our kids knowing of our voice, it could be very dangerous. Right, but so in these crazy busy areas, they know at all times, whether they know it or not, subconsciously, their their ears have already been tuned to the voice of their mom and dad. And they know their name. Right? And so when we call their names, no matter what they're doing, they could be super busy. There could be a bunch of people talking in Spanish around them. They'll hear their name by the voice of their parents and then they'll come and they'll follow. They just they have this relationship. It's like this safeguard that's built into our kids. And the cool thing is is that when Jesus is talking about the sheep and the shepherd, it's a very similar relationship. It's a very intimate relationship back in ancient times, back in the, uh, the first century. So Jesus is going to show us two pictures of sheep, two different illustrations of different sheep pens. And it's really important to know that there's two. The first sheep pen that he talks about is this communal pen. Pretty much all the shepherds would come in, it's in the city, and they would bring their sheep in and it would be this one big pen that had a bunch of sheep from different shepherds. And there would be a gatekeeper, a doorkeeper. The next day or whenever he would come to grab his sheep, he would have a special call. He would, have a, he would do something with his voice and he would call his sheep by name. They would hear his voice out of all the other shepherds and they would follow the direction of the voice that they knew. So they would never get mixed up. The sheep would always follow the right shepherd because they knew the voice of the shepherd. Now... We've heard a lot of sheep sermons where, you know, the preacher gets up and says, like, man, you know, we're just like sheep. Sheep are dumb. Like, you're dumb, right? I'm not going to do that today, okay? Like, you can have that dialogue with someone else later who has all the sheep facts. We will talk a little bit about it. Today I want us to focus on the shepherd because that's what Jesus is focusing on. He is focusing on the shepherd. Now, for those of you who haven't heard a really fun sheep sermon um, where there's all these really fun facts of how we're like sheep, um, just if you guys get anything... um, Without the sheep, I mean without the shepherd, the sheep would die. Bottom line, sheep are the most dependent creatures almost on the planet. I mean, I'm just saying that, I really don't know. But they're really dependent, right? And so if that's what Jesus is trying to show, if you get anything, the sheep are extremely dependent. Without the shepherd, the sheep would die. So fun things like if they go belly up, you've heard this. If they go belly up, they can't turn themselves over, they're going to die. They fall into the stream, they can't swim, they're going to, you know, whatever, sink and... Die. Um, the shepherd leaves the 99 for the one because without the shepherd that one would die. So, so that's kind of this picture and, and, and the absolute dependence sheep had on the shepherd for survival, for life. Right? So that's the picture that Jesus wants to show us. So. The shepherd leads them out. The thieves get in another way. And so here we see that Jesus is specifically speaking to and about the Pharisees. Right? They're the ones who have not entered by the door. Not through the Messiah. Not through the faith and the hope um, in the Messiah. They've tried to make some other way to attract sheep or steal the sheep of God. They're the thief and the robber. But the the shepherd enters through the door. So what he's saying is the Pharisees did not get God's blessing. The doorkeeper in this illustration is God. And, and, and he didn't open up the door for the Pharisees. So they had to figure out another way by adding all of their man-made laws and traditions to the law of God. Missing the heart of God. Making it almost near impossible for the, the true sheep of God to even find God. To have a relationship with him. And if they wanted to, the Pharisees concocted this man-made religion that just made it really difficult to do that. And they said, if you follow these rules, if you do all this work, then maybe you can get right with God. But, but, but it, it kept the sheep from God. You see, the, the, the sheep weren't following the Pharisees. This is why when, when John the Baptist hits the scene, droves of Hebrews Israelites went to be baptized for their sins because they realized the Pharisees weren't leading them closer to God. They realized there was still a gap. There was something between them and God and John the Baptist. This prophet saying you need to be forgiven of your sins. Baptized if you were a Gentile, your heritage is no good. God is calling you. He's preparing the sheep of God for the shepherd of God, Jesus. So Jesus says that they hear the shepherd's voice. He calls them by name. He leads them out and they follow him because they know his voice. But with a stranger... They're not going to follow because they do not know the voice of the stranger. They're not comfortable with the voice of the stranger, so they're going to flee. And see, it's this little section right here that really got me this week. Like there's so much in this passage that we need to look at today. It has the capacity, the power to change lives, to call back lost sheep, to renew our understanding, to awaken our love for our shepherd Jesus. That's my hope. Some of the most profound statements of Jesus is found in this passage. He offers abundant life. He has the power to lay down his life and take it back up again. He is the door to salvation. And I'm studying these passages and knowing this treasure trove in these verses. But this verse stopped me in my tracks. A stranger they simply will not follow but flee from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. And family, I, I believe that the church has become too familiar with the voice of strangers that we have been listening to so many other voices in Jesus, that we have been distracted, we've been taken away. Some people have been robbed. We all know people who started listening to the voice of strangers and have left the flock, and maybe that's you. For most of us, we want to know Jesus more. We want to follow him. We want to know who he is. We want our lives to be surrendered to his purposes. We want to have sweet communion with him. I just don't believe that we flee from the voice of strangers. I believe that we've become too comfortable. We've allowed too many other voices to influence our lives, to call us away from Jesus' leading. Call our lives, demand our time, demand our dreams, demand our desires. These voices, they call us away. You see, the Jew, for the Jew, it was the Pharisee. Right, it was the Pharisee calling them away to some man-made religion that actually kept them farther from God. But I'm assuming that most of us today aren't struggling with some religious ruler of our day to, to call us away from truly following Jesus. That might be the case for you. But for most of us it's not. What voice do you listen to? Whose voice are you giving place in your life? What voices are you giving a platform to in your heart and your mind? See, the voices we listen to, the ones that we follow, get us to abandon our lives for its cause. To lay down and surrender our dreams for the hope that they promise but rarely deliver on. I believe that so many of us can be over familiar with other voices than Jesus. We get distracted and follow these false shepherds. Allowing them to lead the way we think, lead the way we live. We want more of Jesus. We want to grow. We want to be real. We want to be more serious with our faith. And yet we still allow other voices to have greater precedence in our life. We give our eyes and our ears to other people with more passion, with more consistency, with more expectancy than we do with the voice of our good shepherd, Jesus. Statistics tell us that 71% of Americans check their phones within the first 10 minutes of waking up. I'm totally guilty of this. I've done this many, many times. It also says that we, that we on average check our phones 352 times per day. That's once every three minutes. Now some, less for some, more for others. I'm hoping during the sermon it's less for most of us. Um, on average, Americans spend about three hours and 15 minutes on their phones each day. Double that for teens. Double that for young adults. Um, the average American will spend a little over a month and a half on their phone in 2023. And that's not equating the time people watch TV and the news. The average American spends seven hours and four minutes looking at a screen each day. So we go on our phone, we go on our favorite news station or whatever we like to watch. And what do we get on those screens? We're bombarded with voices. Voices telling you how to think, how to live. And they might not be explicitly telling you, but they are modeling for you and subtly saying, follow me. If Jesus were to call you out of a crowd, would you recognize his voice? See, when we're more familiar with the voice of the stranger, they're no longer the stranger, but the person or the thing we imitate. Right? It might not even be a person, it could be a lifestyle, a narrative, your vision of the good life. These voices, they tell you how to live, how to be politically aligned. Right, if, you're, if you're a right-leaning Republican, this is how you live. This is how you should feel about these particular issues. This is how you treat people who think differently than you. I believe in 2020 and honestly these past couple years, the political war and voices have become so strong that many in the church have allowed the political party's voice to be louder and more influential on their life. And how they treat others, how they use their life, what they're vocal about than being influenced by the voice of Jesus. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't be involved politically or vocal about certain issues. I'm for a lot of that. But when I see a good part of the church being more passionate, more vocal, and more invested in political issues and seeing blind men given insight more legalistic and judgmental of the world than going to the lepers of our day, to the blind of our day, to those who have been deemed as sinners and been pushed aside like we saw in the blind man last week. Forgetting that holy smokes, they might be in the state because God wants to do an incredible work through them, through his people, that they would receive sight, that they would receive healing and redemption and receive new life. Whose voice are we listening to? On the other end, there's just people who listen to secular media all day long. You don't even realize that We're getting it just as much as everyone else. We're allowing so many voices to speak to our heart. Shape our mind. Guard your heart and your mind. See, there's the, the strongest voice is telling you, you do you. Live for yourself. All the while the world is curating a version of you it wants you to be. Discipling you. Shaping you into its image. We could listen to our favorite podcast or vlogger, influencer, YouTuber, whatever it is. And again, these things aren't bad. But do these voices have more precedence, more priority in our life than the voice of Jesus? See, if these, if these voices aren't coming through the, vo- the door of Jesus, we need to be careful. We need to filter everything we hear through the door. Right, we learn later on that Jesus is the door. The Pharisees in this teaching are trying to go another way, hop walls. But we need to filter everything we listen to through Jesus, through the word of God. Does this align with the character of God? Does this align with the teachings in the life of Jesus? Does this coincide with the gospel? See, we can't avoid other voices, but are we making sure those voices are coming through the door, that they're coming through Jesus and that his voice is the voice we're listening to the most. And I'm so convicted here because I, you know, I could still struggle in, in so many ways that you guys do. Like, how much time do I devote to make time for for just to hear God's voice? Like just, just that, just to hear God speak, to listen to him, to be still and listen to his voice, to open up his word where he is spoken very clearly. I hear people say, I want to hear a word from God. Oh man, I just haven't heard a word of God from God in so long. And my heart breaks for them. And I'm like, you know that he's given us his word. He's given us his scriptures. He wants to speak. He's spoken. The Holy Spirit of God wants to illuminate scripture, the very word of God that he spoke. That all scripture is God breathed. And it's for you. It's for your good. It's to be equipped for every good work. It's how God speaks to you. To let you know that he is near to show you who he is, to show you who you are, to give you his truth for your heart and his mind and to remind you of his presence in your life, to guide you, to lead you, this very word of God that I'm hoping most of us have in our hands and in our laps. Do you want a word from God? Open up your Bible. The scriptures are God breathed for you. And don't get me wrong, he will speak to you in your heart and in your mind. He will speak to you in prayer. He speaks to us through other people. We see all of that in scripture. But how do you get to know the voice of Jesus? Put it in a different way, how do you come to know the voice of God? You spend time listening to the words that he's already spoken to you. The more familiar I am with God's word, the more I know God's character by how he speaks in scripture, the better I come to know his voice. By hearing him speak to me in the word, hearing the God breathed Holy Spirit illuminated scriptures regularly allows me to tune my ears to his voice when I'm out in the day. One commentator put it like this, listening to the voice means specifically living a life of devotion to the teaching of Christ. Or even more practically speaking, living a life of personal devotion to Christ's word. Sitting under Christ-centered teaching and partaking in the teaching in the community of Christ's church. See, we have these things called Ohana groups, they're our small groups where we open up the word of God and God speaks. He speaks through his word, he speaks through other people. And we're, coming, we're becoming more and more familiar with God's voice, how he speaks. So when somebody comes to me and says, hey, I have a word for you, and they, they say God says this, I mean, that's great. I'm going to take it to the word, I'm going to take it to prayer, I'm going to take it to someone in my community that I trust. All right, it allows me to hear him when I'm praying because I know his voice, I've spent so much time in His Word, studying His Word, and community that His voice becomes more and more familiar. It's easy to see that's not me; that's God. We were um, at Petco the other day. If you don't know, we got a puppy. Exciting! Um, his name's Bruno. Uh, he's a pug. Don't judge me. He's great. And uh, you know, we so we're there. We're buying puppy food, and. Uh, this lady, this auntie rolls up, you know, and she starts talking to us, small talk. I'm like, all right, cool, Petco, small talk, let's go. And she just keeps going. And all of a sudden, she starts, like, opening up her life to us. And I'm like, okay, like, we got to get dog food, you know. Like, it's cool. Like, I'm, so I'm listening. And my wife's being so sweet. And she's talking to her. And like, you know, she's like, yeah. And then somehow it goes like, yeah, and that's why, you know, you got to believe in karma. And my wife's like, well, actually, you know, we don't believe in karma. We believe in Jesus. And I'm like, oh, my wife's awesome. Um, You know, and, but I'm thinking, okay, like, all right, but it's okay. That was great. Good word. All right, cool. Dog food, right? And so, and then all of a sudden, like, in this moment, like, and I think me and Jamie kind of saw at the same time. She maybe got there a little before I did. But, you know, like, God's like, why do you think I have this lady here telling you her whole entire life story? I want you to share with her. I mean, it was so clear. And I was very, I mean, as, as, as Ops and I might have been for the first couple of minutes. Share with her. And we got to share Jesus, we got to share the gospel with her. Like my kids in a crowd or like this sheep, are our ears tuned to his voice? Are we subconsciously always waiting for him to be speaking to us throughout the day? Are we even aware? Like, oh, don't go there. No, 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 we, we don't eat that. No, 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 we don't let that into our lives. Come this way, follow me. Come over here. Speak to this person, share, share, share me with them. He's speaking to us. I mean, it's not just when we're at the grocery store, right? It's it's in our own home. I need to be very aware of Jesus' voice on just to love my wife well, to lead my family, to 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 be with my kids, and, and he'll tell me to slow down, slow down, put your phone down, spend time with them, lead them. I hear his voice. Well, I listen. God's voice will always pull you out of selfishness and lead you towards selflessness. It'll always pull you out of selfishness and lead you towards selflessness. Do we listen to Him for big stuff? A family move, how we use our career, how we use our life, whose voice? is guiding how we spend our lives, the decisions we make. We need to stop giving the voice of the stranger precedence in our life and let Jesus' voice be the one that speaks to us. He will speak to you. Set apart time in the morning or in the evening, whatever that is. Seek him. Ask him, Lord, show me things in my life that need to go. Show me what I still need to surrender. Show me what I'm still not wanting to give you control over. Right? And then he reminds us he is in control. He shows us his love and shows... He's proven it in the gospel... God has so much that he wants to speak to us. He wants his voice to be the greatest presence, the greatest priority in our life. But we need to make time to hear his voice in the word so we know it when we're out in the day. Where we can hear it in the, over the wave of voices going on. Our own voice being the loudest that we're able to hear the Holy Spirit. Hear the good shepherd prompting us. Jesus is telling the, the religious leaders in the crowd around the shepherds, you know, the shepherd knows whose are his. And his sheep will follow his voice. Continuing the dialogue, he realized that the first sheep pen illustration wasn't working. So he moved on to a second one because they just weren't getting it. Verse 6, he literally says, this figure of speech, Jesus spoke to them, but they did not understand. So he said, truly, truly, verse 7, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. Anyone who enters through me, he will be saved and go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life, and life abundantly. Second point is that we need to go through the shepherd for salvation. There is no other way. So the other type of sheep pens, not the communal pen, but it's when the, the shepherd takes their the, his flock out into to pasture and out in the wilderness, and they're just too, they're too far from town to get back. So they have these. These, these sheep pens that are like rock walls, like a circular rock wall or maybe something like that. And the, the, there's an opening, um, but there's no gate. The shepherd would actually literally lay down in the middle of the opening and his body would become the door. Not only showing that he'd lay his life down if there's any thieves or wolves that would come, but that he was also the only way in and the only way out into the flock. And that's what Jesus is showing in this beautiful picture that he's painting, that he is the only way into the flock of God. So Europe is absolutely beautiful, but the the driving is crazy. Anybody ever rented a car and tried to drive in Europe? Brave souls? Yes, so we didn't. Uh, We walked a lot, taxis, metro, it was fun, Um, trains, all that stuff. Um, there's so many little roads to get lost on. There's so many one ways. I'm like, how do they know if they're going down the right one way, you know, like, and, and so there's, like, all these roads. And so we, we still, like, even walking, had to use our little GPS, like, kind of, like, just trying to figure out how to get to where we wanted to go. Um, and, and so, you know, is it, was it this door, was it this, was it this path, was it this building. And we just, we're just constantly having to see, okay, which one is it. And, and, and what Jesus is saying is that, man, there are a lot of paths out there. There's a lot of doors who are going to try to offer you a version of the abundant life. But they're thieves and they're robbers. He is the only way to God. He's talking to the religious rulers of the day and they think they're the gatekeepers into the flock of God. But Jesus is like, no, 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 no. I'm the door. The Pharisees that made it almost impossible for people to be restored to God to find salvation, he's like, I'm the only way into the flock of God. And see, this flies in the face of those who think that their good works will somehow get them into heaven like the Pharisees. If I just do enough good, then I will finally be accepted. I will make it. I will arrive. See every other religion in the world will tell you you need to do a certain amount of good, a certain amount of religious duties, check off a certain amount of boxes, then you will be good enough for heaven, or you'll reach nirvana, or you have a better reincarnation, whatever it is. And it's crazy, you know, as atheist and as secular as our world is, it's actually also becoming a little bit more spiritual. Um, I was on on one of the flights back from Spain. I sat next to this young lady who was a student at USC. Um, you know, and, I'm, and I'm gonna, of course I'm going to talk, start talking to her about Jesus. Um, you know, I'm just like, man, if we're not talking to people on the plane, like they're literally strapped in a seat next to you. They can't go anywhere, man, poor girl. You know, and you can just like just talk and, and you know, lovingly and kindly. Okay. Um, and so I, we, I start sharing Jesus with her and she tells me, you know, She's a Buddhist with a little bit of stoicism on the side, and I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Like, you know, blonde white girl from Chicago, living in Southern California, Buddhist with some stoicism. Sweet, I love it. Hey, no, no judgment. I love Chinese food, but you know, but she's like, she's like, this, she's like, I'm just, she's just trying to make a blend that fits her vibe. Her words, not mine. And 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 I and I go and I'm like, okay, I go to her and I say, what do you have against the teachings of Jesus? She's like, nothing. I'm actually, I'm very open. And I'm like, oh, don't tell me that. We got like six hours, you know. So we continue to talk and I end up sharing the gospel with her and who Christ is. Um, And and see, the hard part about these kind of conversations with spiritual people is when it comes to the exclusivity of Jesus' claim on salvation. That's really difficult for them. See, people want Jesus just to be another option. That people can find a good life and spirituality and morals through other ways plus Jesus. And here's the thing, Jesus did not leave that option open to us. Later on in John, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Later on in this very text, Jesus says that I have the authority to lay down my life and pick it back up. Every mortal man has the authority, has the ability to lay down their life for something. But he says, I have the power and the authority to take my life back up from death. Then he says these, these huge sayings, I am the door, I am the great shepherd. See, remember this, this great I am that we've been talking about, this divine I am, the divine Emmy, this, this divine I am that was only reserved for God, that Jesus was using, that everyone is realizing, oh my gosh, did he just use the divine I am like he did? Jesus is claiming obvious deity when he's saying these phrases. He's not just some option, he's God and the only way to salvation. And I remember talking about how, you know, the peace and the joy and the contentedness that Buddhism and Stoicism tries to offer her will only be experienced through working through enough, you know, steps to attain it. Through behavior modification. Like you ultimately need to earn your peace, contentedness, and joy. You have to earn it. And every other religion is this way except Christianity. Every other religion, including Judaism, says do. Do. Go and do, do these things, do enough. But Christianity says done. Our God has done everything needed for us to be saved, forgiven, and given new life in Christ. One of the biggest differences between Christianity and other religions is they, they say you need to be good enough to experience salvation. But Christianity says you will never be good enough. Right? That you will always make mistakes. You will always fall short. And if you look into human history, it shows that humanity has never really gotten to a place where it's good enough. right? That you see that it's always fallen short. And everyone's trying to find peace and salvation in some way, but it can only be found in God. And they couldn't get there on their own, and God knew that. So, our God, our good and faithful shepherd, Jesus Christ, came into the wilderness of the world to call his sheep to himself. He lived a perfect life, he never sinned, he never did anything wrong. And instead of getting praise for his perfect life, he willingly laid it down on behalf of his sheep, his people. So that whoever trusts in his life, death, and resurrection will have this perfect life applied to them and they will be saved. The Bible says that he who knew no sin took our sin upon himself and we were given his righteousness. And this is so profound. No other religion do we see a God who loves his people that he dies for them that they can be atoned for and saved. We deserve to die for our sin. We deserve to be separated from God. But Jesus died in our place. He who was sinless accepted the guilt of our sin and died for us. No one else could do it, but he could and did. Thus he literally became the door by which sinful people can approach God the Father. By doing this, he he became the only door by which sinful people can approach God the Father. He is the gate. He is the door. He said in verse 9, if anyone enters through me, he will be saved. Humanity can't earn salvation through religious duties like the Pharisees or through any other religious experience or set of rules. God made one way, Jesus Christ. And it's not that good works are not part of our salvation. Right? But they're the fruit of our salvation, not the means in which we are saved. There are a lot of thieves and robbers out there who will try to come and rob you from arresting in Jesus' completed work on the cross. That's why in verse 10, Jesus says, The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I came that they may have life and life abundantly. See, most of the time when we hear this verse, we hear it being applied to Satan. Or that Satan is the thief, right? And don't get me wrong, Satan is definitely a thief. But in this passage, Jesus is actually throwing these accusations at the Pharisees. Who had come to rob God's people of knowing him by putting all these obstacles in their way that kept people from God. Now we learned in John chapter 8, if you were paying attention, Jesus says that, hey Pharisees, your father is not Abraham. Your father is actually the devil, the father of lies. Right? And so, even behind their actions and their motives, the enemy's been working to use them to keep God's people from finding him. But here, Jesus steps onto the scene and says, A lot of things out there will try to rob you of joy, joy, peace, and salvation. But I am here that you may actually have life, eternal life, life in me, life to the fullest, the abundant life. So, what is the abundant life? What is life to the fullest? So, let's just imagine. Okay you're chilling at Starbucks okay or like if you're anti big corp you're at Coffee Gallery Right, sipping your latte with your sweet coffee art, right, or your black coffee because you're a man. I like you. That's nice. Um, or maybe a frappuccino. No judgment. Totally cool. Um, and and someone sees you reading your Bible because I know you guys are getting down with God's Word in coffee shops. Let's do it. Um, and so they see you reading your Bible and they're like, and they ask you like, Hey, are you a Christian? And you're like, um, Did you not see the heat Greater Than I shirt? You know, like, um, right. And so they, are you a Christian? You know, I I heard Jesus offers abundant life. What is that? What would you say? What would you say to them? I don't find it coincidence that this verse comes in the middle of a passage where where he's describing the relationship to the shepherd. See, the abundant life has everything to do with us knowing God as shepherd. Right, we've heard this before, like probably out of context, that Jesus offers the abundant life. And so we can like list all the amazing things that we get because we have Christ. All the amazing things that we get because we're in Christ. And the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. And all this awesome things. But Jesus decides to put this smack dab in the middle of the good shepherd teaching. And says, my sheep experience the abundant life with me as their shepherd. The abundant life, as scripture speaks of it, above all, is the contented life. The contented life. Think about it. You're content when you have abundance. When you're lacking, you're not content, right? And so the sheep would feel this abundant life. In the care of the shepherd. The contented life is the sheep, the life of the sheep who finds himself in the hands of a good shepherd. There may be dangers, there may be storms at times, droughts, and famines still in the hands of a good shepherd, the sheep is content and life is bountiful. So the abundant life is, is found in complete dependence in care and in care of the shepherd. How well are you letting the shepherd care for you? Man, we really buck against the shepherd, you know. Like we have a hard time letting God be God, letting him be in control, trusting his care for us. Like if you think about this, we are our own worst enemies when it comes to experiencing the abundant life. I'm not talking about getting salvation, I'm talking about experiencing its fruits. We are, its, we are our own worst enemies in actually experiencing the abundant life. Instead of being dependent sheep that trust the shepherd, we'd rather be a wild horse kind of doing our own thing or a work mule trying to do all the work. How's that working out for you? Do you have peace in your soul, steadiness in your heart? Or is it anxious? Is it all over the place, jumping from one thing to the next? Is it cynical? Is it critical? Is it joyless? Is it tired? This is where the shepherd of the soul comes in. See, throughout the Old Testament, God was known as the great shepherd. That he always was and always is for his people. One of the most famous passages that we all know will when it comes to the shepherd, God being our shepherd, is Psalm 23, where King David talks about the Lord as our shepherd. And I truly believe that this is the abundant life that Jesus is talking about. So we're just going to read it together. Look up with me. It says this The Lord is my shepherd. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So we're not going to go through this whole entire passage. But what we see is this is what the abundant life looks like. Life with the shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. See, our good and faithful shepherd provides for all of our needs. Can you imagine just being perfectly content in the fact that you know God And just being with him, that he is yours. To slow down and think that the God of heaven and earth has me in his sovereign hands. He knows me, he loves me, and I am his. See, this type of contentedness is not found in how much money we have in the bank or how well our five-year plan is going or how good our relationships are going. But in the fact that my good and faithful shepherd is watching over me, guiding me, providing for me. That he's not unaware of my issues and my problems. That he's actually providing for me right now in ways that I probably don't understand. And my eternity is secure. And my present tense state is with God. That I have God. At the end of this psalm it says that, that, that he anoints us that our cup overflows, that he anoints us with his spirit, we're overflow with his presence, he gives us himself. And he works towards his glory in our life, which is our ultimate good. See, we live in such an unsatisfied culture where every voice is telling you to want more. You're not there yet. You haven't arrived. You're not good enough. You don't have enough. So we continue to work on ourselves, buy things for ourselves, achieve more for ourselves, and yet we're never content. Because the contentment that we're looking for can only be found in giving ourselves to our good and faithful shepherd. It's interesting, there tends to be more joy and contentment in like third world believers Like they have this joy, like they don't have a lot, but they have Jesus. And there's this joy. Like if you've ever met a believer from another country in like an impoverished city, like they have this contentment. And like, man, Lord, we have the same Jesus. Why do why do we why can't we have that? Why don't we experience that as much? And I think it's just because we just have so much stuff. We have so much going on, we allow our first world problems to steal our contentment in Jesus. That we need to be reminded that our faithful shepherd has this in our hands, that there's nothing he can't take care of. There's nothing that he's not in control of. He is fully aware of everything in your life, and he is asking you to trust him, to rest in him, to stop the incessant trying to be better, to get better things, and to trust in our Jesus who was better on our behalf so we can experience life with him and rest in his care, the abundant life. It says he makes us lie down in green pastures. He leads us beside quiet waters. He restores our soul. He leads us in the path of righteousness that we will fear no evil because he is with us. The increase of anxiety in our country has exponentially grown. There is a spirit of anxiety and worry that is affecting our culture in ways that the professionals are saying is unprecedented. And it's not just out there, church. It's in here. And Jesus is saying, do you want to lie down? Do you want to rest? I'll give you a little fun fact about sheep. I know I wasn't going to do a lot of sheep stuff today. But there's this book written about the perspective of a shepherd on Psalm 23. And it's saying that it's really difficult to get sheep to lie down. It's very hard. That you have to remove a lot of obstacles to get them to be quiet and still enough in their mind to actually lie down. That you need to actually remove all feeling of fear from their life. They cannot feel any ounce of danger or threat. They got to be free from worry. They have to be free from tension and aggravation. And they can't be hungry. right? And so only the shepherd could actually provide that for the sheep. So the shepherd works for the good of the sheep. He removes their fears. He removes their worries. He removes their tensions, their aggravations. And his presence and his ability in their life is the only thing that can do this. He then feeds them to make sure they're without hunger. And then they lie down and they rest. And Jesus says, come to me. All you who are weary and heavy laden. And I will give you rest. I am the bread of life. Come to me and you will never hunger again. I have living water. Come to me and you will never thirst again. See, when we understand who our shepherd is, why wouldn't we abandon every stranger, every other false shepherd and come to Jesus? Why wouldn't we stop trying to do life on our own, being a rogue sheep and come back into the gracious and loving care of Jesus to trust him, to turn from our sin and follow him down the path of righteousness. Knowing that sin leads to death and obedience to Jesus leads to life. When we see this shepherd, why wouldn't we come running? The God of heaven and earth who has come in the person of Jesus who's taken our sins, restored us, calls us children, and is calling us back into the flock into his great care. What thing in this world is more powerful than our God? What do we need to fear? What circumstance are you going through that's greater than our good and faithful King Jesus? God is like, I want to be your shepherd, but would you follow me? Would you listen to my voice and let my presence drown out all the other voices in your life. Don't let them have power over you. Listen to the voice of your good shepherd and trust that I have you. I died for you. I've conquered your enemies and I'm working for your good. I'm all-powerful, I'm all-knowing, and you're mine. If we would just trust him, our anxiety and the fears of the day would fall away. If we trust him, we turn from sin and self and entrust our lives to our shepherd and experience life to the fullest. The abundant life doesn't mean that life won't be hard. It doesn't mean that storms won't come. It doesn't mean that famines won't strike. It means that we have a God through it all. And more important, that he has us. The abundant life is life following the shepherd. Life in the care of the shepherd. And life with the shepherd. right, life following in the care of and with Jesus. In this, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Will we trust him? Will we follow his voice? Will we surrender control? There is life to the fullest to be had. And our last point, we're landing the plane here. Don't get scared. We trust and worship the shepherd because he is good and he is God. Jesus goes on to explain, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf and leaves them. He flees. The wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and he's not concerned about the sheep. But Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And I know my own and my own know me. Even as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep, they're not of this fold, but I'm going to bring them also. And they will hear my voice and they'll become one flock with one shepherd. See, Jesus is showing himself as the good shepherd in contrast to the hired hand. See, the hired hand is not the shepherd. When he sees the wolf or any kind of danger coming, he's out. He leaves the sheep, right? He lets the wolf or evil, whatever kind of catastrophe come, he lets it happen. Why? Verse 13, he flees because he's the hired hand. He's not concerned about the sheep, and again, Jesus is obviously speaking about the Pharisees right now. But see, there are many hired hands, many false shepherds that will try to convince you that they have their best intre- your best interest at heart. Or there are things in your life that try to convince you that if you follow their way of life, their version of achievement, they promise to take care of you. But here's the thing, if you don't measure up, if you fail, if you don't meet the expectations of your career, or you don't do a good enough job investing, or you don't meet that, that person's expectations, they're out. Right, just like with the blind men, the Pharisees were out. This hired hand, this way of life, set of rules, group of people, whatever it is, they say they care about you. And it seems like they're taking good care of you. And you might even feel a little bit safe and secure. But these things will inevitably fail you. There will be a time that whatever false shepherd, whatever thing you're putting your security in, your hope in, will not pull through. And in some cases, and a lot of us have experienced this, they will abandon us. They flee at the side of danger. It will flee when you don't measure up. When your weakness is exposed. It will flee when something comes up that doesn't work for their own interest. Whether it's success, a job, friends, that guy, that girl, whatever that is. It's not the shepherd that your soul seeks. It cannot offer you security and the contentment and salvation that the good shepherd can. Every soul longs to be cared for by a shepherd. Every soul is in need of to be in a care of a shepherd. And they will find it Somewhere. No matter how much it actually falls short. And Jesus is saying, he is the good shepherd. He sees all of our failures. He sees all of the mess that we brought in today. He sees all of our mistakes. He sees all of our weakness that we try to mask. All of our insecurities. He sees our hidden sin that he's saying, hey, I want you to surrender that today. He sees all the other voices that we've been following in our spare time. He sees all of our mess. All of our inability. All our baggage. And guess what? He doesn't run. He doesn't flee. When sin, death, and Satan came knocking at the door, Jesus didn't flee. He laid down his life. Where most thought that he was defeated by the wolf, he was actually doing battle with the wolf. He actually came and laid down his life to reverse the curse, defeating sin, stripping the wolf of his own power over us, rose from the grave in victory, and the defeater of death and the giver of life then calls us today to follow him. Jesus says that he is a good shepherd. His own will know his voice. He's calling us today. He calls each sheep today by your name. He knows your name. He knows wherever you've been at. He knows your sporadic time in the word, your scattered thought life, your overtired mind and body, your endless responsibilities. And he's saying it's not about your performance, it's not about your ability, but our willingness to rest in his care. Our willingness to rest in his presence, to give him control, to be completely dependent upon him, to seek to hear his voice and follow him moment by moment. Follow him with our whole entire lives, spending time to get more familiar with his voice in the word. For some of you, you've gone completely rogue. You know who you are. You've left. And for some reason, you're here this morning. He's calling you by name back into the fold back into his good and faithful care nothing else will care for your soul like the one who made it some of you he's calling for the very first time to turn from sin and self and to trust in the life death and resurrection from jesus that that in verse 16 is talking about sheep from another fold that he's going to bring in yeah that's you today and you're hearing jesus's voice calling your name he's bringing you in follow him The section ends with Jesus saying, I lay down my life so that I may take it up again. No one has taken it from me. I lay it down by my own initiative. No one forced him. He says, I have have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it back up again. Only God has the power to take back life from death. Jesus is not only the shepherd that we follow. He is the God who laid down his life for us. He is the God who is worthy of our worship. Like the man who received sight last week and fell down at the feet of Jesus in worship. So today we worship him. Who else is worthy of our trust and worship more than our conquering shepherd king? Only Jesus. So let us entrust ourselves to his care and trust ourselves to the good shepherd. Amen.